out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome to this C86 show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the German singer, composer and audio designer. It is Mona Mirror who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, look, she was in Hamburg, I was in Norwich. We had a great relationship, well, for an hour and a bit. Um, yes, anyway, look, you'll find out more about the whole, about her life in the interview, so I'm not going to bore you with it now. So, um, look, after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to what we were talking about was, and I was talking about the 80s and the amount of stuff, music creativity that went on during the 80s. And this was Mona's, um, Mona's response to this, Mona Mur. So, um, Mona, take it away. It's nice that you see it that way, David. Um, for us who were around, uh, of course, I have I have to to say I'm not a person living in the past. No, well, absolutely. And I know that younger people are super interested in that they hear like legend of, about legendary, excessive parties and and stuff like this. And yeah, I mean, it was a kind of a kind of big bang back back then, like around 1980, music-wise, and all these kind of genres like like uh, emerged from that point, more or less, all this like post-punk and goth and whatsoever. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's right. Yes. But of course, I, I, I'm, I, I, I made music ever since, so, so I'm careful about talking too much and looking too much into the past. Actually. No, absolutely. Well, I was born in 1964, so the 80s was very much... Oh, okay. That oh, was all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, expect that. <laughs> so I was, I was very much, that was kind of my, you know, that was where you started to be able to go out on your own and, you know, go to gigs and start sort of doing all that kind of stuff. So I suppose the 80s were that kind of period for me, which I was obsessed with. But I suppose one thing I did notice just on that point, and I did an interview last week with the member of the Nightingales, because Rob Lloyd, I don't know if you remember them. Okay. Um, but they've just, he's got a film that is going to be coming out on the 6th of Feb, which is being done by the comedian and various other people, Stuart Lee, and that's called King Rocker. And I think, I suppose what I noticed that in the last few years, like five years, you know, there's been a film on the Nightingales, another one on this guy called Ted Chippington, who, no, not Ted Chippington, um, Frank Sidebottom. And there was one on the Chills from Australia and then the Wedding Presents, the album George Brest and the Go-Betweens. So I kind of, that's what I meant by sometimes kind of going back and having a look and then making a film and a documentary and just kind of both appreciating it and slightly putting it in another cultural context. That's my theory. Very possible, of course. Uh, <laughs> I think it's very hard to to come up with something totally unrelated and new. It's just getting harder and harder and harder. Like this 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 untouched snowfield where no traces are on. You see what I'm trying to say. So so this is obviously kind of kind of over and of course we have to we are connected to everything else because we are not alone on this planet. We are my theory is anyway that we are in a kind of huge field, uh, subconsciously connecting, connected to each other. This kind of like 
collective subconscious is a theory that that really rings rings well in in, in my thinking uh, and so um, but I don't know apart from this the 80s always have revivals again and again and again and I think people or also younger people are interested in this kind of artistic intensity maybe or non-compromising attitude yes and I, I think uh, this is actually something I still somehow try to follow on follow follow uh, in, in my works with that which is not easy but uh, but it works so far until now. So, <laughs> well, yes, yeah. and 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 I think everybody who was, you know, there, say, doing it, they haven't stopped doing it. I think, from what I can tell, and all the interviews I've done, everyone is still trying to sort of think this is still going to be my best work could still be coming, and and still enjoying it. From you know the hundreds of in interviews I've done, it's like nobody has stopped. They just had to. Oh, it's my life and my profession. I never did anything else. And I'm not looking forward to doing anything else. Also. No, well, absolutely. When you when you get so far, you know, you think, well, there's, you know, that that's it. That's right. But look, but one thing I'm always interested in, just as a kind of a, a start, because I was born in 1964, so I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. We are, we are kind of close. <laughs> we, are, we are quite, we're the same decade, aren't we? And um, so my kind of that, that moment where music started to become my obsession as, a, as purely as a fan, and, and you know, and, and that continued all through my life and still now, is, um, right. is, is kind of, I suppose, the glam scene of the early... 70s you know I did hear a bit of the 60s stuff but that was mostly my mum listening to the radio yeah but then it was kind of watching bands like the sweet and t-rex and then yeah, same here same here yeah here. and I and was then, a little girl yeah totally and, and I was like an Alice Cooper schools out and it's like wow that's amazing totally yeah uh, that was it but luckily David Bowie was my first Roxy scene. music Roxy, Roxy music and Brian Eno yes. here come the warm jets Yes, well, this is true. Of, and I love this Mellotron sound. I still adore the mighty Mellotron. Yes, me. Well, absolutely. Oh, yeah. But luckily, my, my first love and single was David Bowie's Space Oddity, which was such a great one, because it could have been Gary Glitter, which would have been horrendous. But Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he, you know, he was very much there at the time. Um, but what was your kind of moment where you started to become like, wow, either listening or watching something? becoming you know, like, like like being hit on the head and yes. like change forever the change the, the um, this, uh, first thing i have to tell you I, I i made music since i'm basically three years old because my mom she was a brilliant singer she sang russian songs so making music and even performing i started with doing that in my childhood and everybody was hoping that i would walk this classical path as a singer or pianist but then yeah stuff happened in in what you just described uh, this this like bomb uh, falling on my head this uh, there was actually rather movies it was the movie clockwork orange actually i watched uh, age 13 and that changed me like before and after walking into that movie in some kind of suburban cinema and where the cashier woman had no idea what what that was and i was really Urwerk Orange, what is that? So I went in with my elder sister, and then and then came uh, <laughs> Ludwig van, played by uh, Wendy Carlos, and pff, this did something to me that was not not 
not able nothing so so it was not so it was before and after this effect it was this mighty electronic classical music and uh, Ludwig van Beethoven and also uh, Henry Purcell uh, this requiem for Queen Mary yes the funeral of Queen Mary music yeah this is one and also I was listening so you know as a little girl in Germany uh, it was it was hard to get at the right music, so you had to know all the radio programs back then and kind of noodling your way, waiting for this one moment a week where there would be something called International Hit Parade, and they played The Doors, they played Black Sabbath, actually. I'm a, I'm a super great Black Sabbath fan. Well, yes. And my guitar playing, I always try to reach the Tony Iommi style. <laughs> <laughs> I still adore them. And Aussie, and so so this dark stuff always fascinated me from from like a really age 10, 11, 12 ish. Yeah, well, it's interesting because not listening to little girls stuff. I really de I, I despised that. I I went for I I love this dark, heavy heavy stuff. I love distorted guitars until now. I'm I'm very much into that, but of course there were there was some some dead people like Jim Morrison. He was dead already when I I, I was I was hanging out with some much elder people than myself who were like already twenty and I was like thirteen, fourteen ish, and so they played a lot of music to me and also um, yeah Roxy music Brian Eno did that this very very specific sound, this unique sound you. You, you immediately identify after one second, and this is what I find interesting until today. This yes. very original, uh, daring to to do your very own sound, not copying, uh, not being like the millionth copy of of another copy. This is this is this is around everywhere, uh, which I find really boring and uninteresting. And why would I why would I make music that sounds like a million other bands? But but yeah, maybe after such a long time uh, in music, I found out that maybe this is even necessary to have this. This is like a huge swamp where here and there some orchids blow, uh, come 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 growing, and maybe it needs this 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 massive amount of mediocre stuff to to make possible these unique and interesting sensational moments pieces of art or music or whatever. yes well absolutely and how and you grew, and you grew up in hamburg i grew up i'm born and uh, grew up in hamburg that's right yeah yes and what was and so your parents were quite bohe were they quite bohemian no not at all no totally not my parents uh, my parents are actually my family history is a bit complicated because um, my grandparents are born uh, in a place uh, which was called back then Galician, which is in the today it's Ukraine. Back then, before the Second World War, it was Poland, and then it was of course Nazi Germany uh, or Stalin Soviet Union. Yeah. So my family was pretty much divided in in these huge, uh, terrible blocks. And uh, and then my parents both had to kind of escape from from uh, in the in January forty five they uh, they were children and they had to they had to flee from the Red Army because this was this was like these people who had to like like treks like three weeks trek with horses and so on 
and so these were my parents kind of and uh, and so my that's why my mom sang russian songs the whole day because my one of my grandparents is of ukrainian descent so, so they speak polish at home and then later uh, in their youth they, they were stuck in the gdr for for a couple of years before like again escaping to hamburg because my dad thought this is a nice and beautiful city and he could convince my mom to follow him it's kind of a romantic crazy story God, how they got right. there because we didn't have any relatives there but so i was i'm born in hamburg no they were really conservative but loving wonderful people and my mom very musical my dad totally not musical at all so when he sang that the birds would fall from the sky <laughs> but he adored that i was like very much into music and they were supportive so and my mom sang the whole day so so they were very conservative but also they they were supportive and they bought me music lessons from very early age yeah so and i have, grew into and having seen musical, but it was never uh, regarded as a as a decent profession so later this was hard for them when uh, yeah when i i choose this this way for myself Yes. It was tough for them because they they couldn't imagine that you could make a living on that. Yeah. But yes. I had no but, choice. But to have but your parents to have survived kind of communist Russia and then fascist Nazi Germany and managed to sort of kind of that's an extraordinary story, isn't it? Sort of literally right. relocating. I mean, that's I mean, I couldn't imagine what that would be like to be literally feeling like you know, your life is is kind of from day yeah to you day. know in in Germany and back in uh, in these days like okay I was a, I was a little kid in the sixties okay so back then nobody would would rather these people my parents they wouldn't say they had to flee from the because all these millions of people from from these Ostgebiete from these parts from from occupied poland and and which would later became a gdr they had to to flee and people in the west part of germany had to take them in right so nobody wanted them that oh god these refugees we don't want them and they gave them a hard time although they were germans <laughs> so so yeah so people think should think about this today when they think speak about not wanting refugees come on some generations before you were the refugees <laughs> so okay yeah so so my parents wouldn't wouldn't rather tell people they they, they try to fit into this german 60s society trying to forget basically what happened before and uh, yeah, but this this crack goes through my family in 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 many ways actually. So un, until the end of the GDR, we were suffering from not being able to speak to fa fa my father. Couldn't see his sisters and so on. It was very complicated. But we all know why this happened. So yeah, we had to uh, to deal with that. Yes, that's one hell of a thing to deal with, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but I think this is really another subject for another. 
this is true. I don't want it's to just, come up with all these details. And, no, no, but still, you know, it's quite, it, it's, it's, kind of what, it, it's kind of what shapes you, isn't it, as well? So, you know, it's hard to, um, to totally, yes, it, it, it's sort of, it's all part of who you are. But then as the 70s progressed, and you mentioned Black Sabbath, and funny enough, I had a brother who was seven years older than me, and he was very into prog rock, but he also had two other albums. No, he had Sgt. Pepper, The Beatles, um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and then Black Sabbath's greatest hits with Paranoid and uh, Sabbath Blood yeah. and Sabbath. And when you're about 12 and you put that stylus and you hear sort of Paranoid and Tony Ione's guitar, you just think, oh, that's, that's not top 10 chart. Bubblegum, no, but I was actually not a fan of the Beatles, neither of the Stones. I didn't like so much this, uh, this super masculine kind of wanting to be sexy uh, Mick Jagger style and the Beatles were too soft for me. <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I loved this dark, dark and crazy stuff as I, as I said very early and I was running in my room with the radio like glued to my ear to have it louder. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah and and i started kind of early to 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 really love uh, electrified music hard guitars and and I, I was a total music freak like 14 15 16 after school only i i met up with 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 guys mainly because the girls loved the softer stuff i not me Yes, absolutely. So, so, yeah, I was a crazy music maniac, of course. And, and were you, uh, and, and at that and, stage, were you sort of becoming aware of people like the Stooges and Iggy Pop and the New York Dolls as the 70s progressed? Was that, were they bands that started? Well, the, the punk thing I discovered uh, through the Stranglers, actually. Right. The Stranglers, and they, they were kind of, and, I mean, not to forget Patti Smith, who, who blew me away. Uh, and I'm very thankful somebody gave me a cassette of Patti when I was 16, and I, this is also before and after, because I saw, ah, hey, this, this woman, she is a poet, she plays electric guitar, she's not the fucking bimbo of some guys. You no. can, I can do that, she can do that, I can do that. So, so like, like Susie and the Banshees, like Patty and like Lydia Lunch, let's say they, they were really important influences for me. And then I saw the Stranglers in Hamburg. I went, I went to a concert in, I think, 78, which was a place called Winterhuder Fairhouse. And I, there were like 20 people in the audience. And I was one of them with a third eye in my face and a long hippie, hippie skirt. And my hippie friends, they said, oh, oh this, is, this is so aggressive. I, I think we'd rather go. I said, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought, it was such an awesome concert, so brutal, this bass playing of J.J. Burnell. And you know, 10 years later, I ended up with J.J. and Dave in East Anglia uh, producing an album. But yeah, so, so Stranglers really turned, turned my life again in, in, in a totally different direction. God, that must have been awesome. Rather Iggy and the Stool just, uh, of course, I, I liked, but this one had not this impact on me. Yes. I think it's... It's, 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 it's often, it's like coincidence, what, what a friend plays to you or what, who, who's playing in your town. And yeah, and I was always very open with my antennas open and totally up for adventure and totally against uh, a normal life. And I knew I could not live a normal life. 
which was also a shocking uh, reception. Yes, then you are not able to. It's not coquetry or something. And you, because I was a very good pupil, I, I, I raced through my school with. I was a kind of Einzel student. I was very good, but I knew, and the, everybody expected me to f go on to the university and become a nice, I don't know, university professor or something like this. But no, I, I cancelled my studies immediately after I started them, <laughs> and uh, and I said, "Sorry, mom and dad." I'm, I'm moving out now and I'm gonna be, and there is punk and new wave around. I'm sorry, I have to, to be a punk and new wave musician now. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, that's yes, what, that must have been that's a conversation. The, that's how it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because in this, you know, in the UK, you know, we had that period, which I suppose in the early 80s, you know, Margaret Thatcher had got in 79. There was a lot of unemployment, a lot of people just claiming, you know, benefits. Right. Then at the same time, we're, we're sort of making music of that period as well. There was like various schemes that people could sign on to, like the Job Seekers Allowance. And so, you know, it kind of gave a lot of people a couple of years living in squats and living in kind of quite dingy places, but wanting to play music. Because at that stage in the UK, there was a huge amount of unemployment and there was a very sort of, sort of yeah. un underclass, whereas there's like, there was the mainstream, yeah. you go for it. It was Duran Duran, you know, Sade, the, you know, Wham, Spandau Ballet, or you just went the other way and, you know, became a sort of... Did you think this was like divided parts of audiences too, you think? Yes. So or do was, you think that, that, that mixed somehow together, like these new romantics stuff in a way? Well, I, I suppose when I was growing up, when I saw the new, new romantics, they all looked very wealthy and they all looked very sort of totally, yeah, yeah. hedonistic and they all looked like they could afford very expensive clothes and go to nightclubs, which personally I would have been terrified of going to. Whereas I went to a little dingy <laughs> indie night Yes. Watching a band, I felt much more comfortable. You know, these were my people. Everyone looked a bit, no one had much confidence, which kind of obviously, when you're feeling very insecure, the last thing you want to do is go next to all these people like Boy George. And, right, you know, right, and right, right. I see what you mean. I think the, these contrasts were in Germany less harsh, obviously. Right. I, 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 I reckon, I presume, I'm... I'm not so, of course, I don't know precisely and profoundly uh, what was going on in England. I visited actually with my friend Anja of Xmal Deutschland. We are good friends until today. So uh, with her, I, it was the first time I came to London in 81 or two. And, and yeah, I, I think these social, this, the, the, the differences were, were harsher that was what i felt in, in both in both directions and uh, in hamburg uh, or berlin um, i don't know you you could they they played in the clubs they they would play like uh, dead kennedys and the next would be would be mark almond uh, which we adore too uh, this non-stop erotic cabaret and as a musician i have to say that 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 I have a musician's heart and mind, and the music that touches me and hits me uh, is the music I want to to experience. And I don't care so much does it belong to this group or that group. I don't care. And for instance, um, uh, there there is beautiful music like Visage, Fade to Grey. God, is this beautiful? I love these synthesizers. 
I love I love these these analog wonderful Roland synthesizer sound and these beautiful melodies. So I don't care. Are these rich kids? I'm not a rich kid, by the way, not at all. And I'm not a super poor kid. So my parents were like the hardworking type of people. My dad, he became, uh, he worked himself up in the German Wirtschaftswunder. Okay, so, so, but, uh, but there were some irresistible tunes in this new romantic uh, department, and also some absolutely irresistible, harsh, dark punk, post-punk. Uh, groups and music I really adored like or like Joy Division like uh, yeah so I, I listen to a lot of English stuff actually uh, when I talk to you I, <laughs> I find out but there was also early Duff there were some cool German groups back then Abwärts, Duff, Einstürzende Neubauten who were my buddies I, I, I reckon you know Einstürzende Neubauten yes I do I do I managed to do an interview so, so yeah we hung out together and we played together and Three of them were in the early Mon Amour band, Mark Chung and Hacke and FM Einheit. So, so, so this was also a great, important uh, influence and uh, an, an important bubble I, I was hanging out with and we, people who we kind of created the music scene back then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And luckily, because the other thing that um, we had back in those days, without being too nostalgic, but we had gatekeepers, you know, we had the music papers, we had like all That's those right. little, little venues, that every town had a venue which would have an indie alternative night, probably on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And we had John Peel, who would Obviously, oh, that's right. Yes. But what, who would you would go to John Peel? You'd listen to it and you'd think, oh, I like. You know, for me, it was like, oh, the Bundu Boys from Africa. I love that. Oh, I like the Smiths. Or I like, you know, the Hard Ons from Australia. Or I like, you know, early Public Enemy from you know New York. So he was this kind of person who seemed to sort of go right. I'll, I'll play everything. You know, I'll get you a reggae track, an African track, a Bulgarian folk music track. Obscure right, death yeah. metal, yeah. and I'll just put yeah, it in yeah, my right show. In yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> I'll put it all in the show, and and someone like me who who probably seems to have got slightly limited attention span, go, oh, that's fantastic, because other, otherwise it's just like, you know, I kind of love an you know reggae track, but I wouldn't want to listen to five hours of reggae probably. But you know, Sly and Robbie, brilliant, you know, so that was good. Oh, <laughs> Sly and Robbie, oh my God, yes. Yes, I managed this to. Wonderful in... Grace Jones production they oh, did. I mean, yes. I, I adore did. so much. I listen to that. I, I go on YouTube and listen to all that stuff. I mean, so I think now we have a point because you said something about gatekeepers and maybe uh, that forces upon us a kind of comparison to today that there are not so many <laughs> gatekeepers <laughs> anymore. There are no gates anymore. No. So this is like a deluge. It's like the ocean. I think it's 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 a curse and some it's it's good and bad as everything in this universe it seems to have a dark and a light side it has both sides because um yeah it gives much more freedom to everybody all this digital let's say the digital revolution to put it in a short term thing uh, of course i sit here in my studio with some some huge computers with huge capacities Back in the days, there were also gatekeepers in front of music studios and you had to belong to some elitist uh, circle of people being allowed into a music studio. 
um, which where, where, where I be, where I belonged to. <laughs> so so in a way, you felt a little bit, you know, how to say, uh, I'm I'm a little bit better than than these who are not asked into a music studio and nobody's there to pay for them for six hundred bucks a day or a thousand bucks a day. I I really. I really don't know. So, so it was very, very tough to get there. And of course, uh, the criteria who would, who would get entrance into these circles or not, they, they were kind of questionable. Uh, is it only quality or is it connections? But okay, yeah. And, and today you have Spotify. Actually, as a, as a music user, uh, it's the heaven, maybe. I don't know. But also, I'm a person, I don't want so much being, I, I don't want uh, a terabyte of music being, being poured out over my head. I don't want this. No. I'm very selective. I, but of course, I don't listen to so much music anyway, because I, I sit in this music studio basically 12 hours a day, my whole life. If I'm not playing, which is not possible but at the moment, but... Uh, or if I'm not traveling, I sit here in this place and, and I produce music. So I'm not listening to too much music, but of course there, yeah, it has to get through me. Some friends have to press it through me until I accept, okay, you want me really to listen to that? Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> so I, I, I listen to it, it has to be really forced upon me and then I will listen and then I am open, but I'm certainly not interested in having an ocean poured over my head. And no. this is such a different situation. And also at the same time, music is devaluated in, in a harsh way, in, the, in, the, in a literal way, which, is, which I really hate. Because, uh, but, but can I stay here? Can I be here as an old person and, and starting to rant about what was much better? A hundred years ago, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so it's not easy for me to, but but certainly I I don't like this streaming and this this boss of the streaming. They they no. are nerds. I mean, they are nerds who who had a clever programming. I I, I love I have my nerds. I'm working with in the games industry, and I love them, and they are my buddies. But. But the Spotify guy, he just came up with these postulations like, oh, the musicians, the musicians, they are so lazy. You, you don't get away with only producing an album per year. So, so move your asses, basically. So I want to hit him. In, I want to smack him in his face. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I hate this because it's so, it's, this, it's very, it's, everything gets very generic. Music is something you play in the toilet. Or you play it in an <laughs> elevator or underground with something that fills your ears up. And this is certainly not very good. And also, also people have not the idea that, that a hard work should be paid for, and which, which makes me really crazy, which I, I can't see uh, that this is work. And also it's investment into good machines. You need machines. Mm. And you can't always buy cheap machines. It will sound cheap. Very good, noble sound costs, darling. And plus <laughs> skills, plus experience, and so on. So, so this whole totally... So <laughs> it seems that there are more people making music than listeners. They are like geese who are being stuffed 
<laughs> and, and all of this I find really disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, David. <laughs> That's good. It's, well, I've heard of that geese one before, yeah. but yeah, you know. But, you... It's, it's terrible, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, and everybody makes music. Everybody wants to be the jumping Jack Flash on the scene. Why? What is so funny about that? I, I leave it to the people who are really forced to do it and who come up with some quality. But okay, this is also complaining and I hate complaining. Because from, <laughs> for myself, I found a way. I'm not living by CD sales or something like this. Because I do, since very long time, I work for movies and for games because this is the second love of my life are audiovisual pieces of art, which is movies, which is computer games, and which I discovered for myself. It's really, really moving me and really begeistern, you see what I'm saying? Yes. So, so, and since I found this, I'm, I am really happy. Uh, which, which helps me also to, to get somehow through this situation now, because as a producer, it hits you not so hard. As, as some friends of mine who are one opera singer, all the concerts are canceled for one or two years. And people who like performed in front of audiences 2000 plus with sold out huge uh, opera houses. I, I know some, I have some colleagues and their lives are smashed now. Like this is like like an atom, atomic bomb hit their lives. And and this is so tough. This is this, this is really horrible. I can't. I don't know what to say. And for some reason, my my little shitty studio here, I, I survive in here because I I can work for games and movies. And 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 for some more more stuff uh, as well, together with Anesh, and together with other great people. Yes. So, so yeah. By the way, there's going. I don't know whether you know this. Uh, like right now, as we speak, uh, there's a label called Playloud.org. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They are re-releasing. Re they are starting to re-release my whole back catalogue, starting with the '88 uh, LP with the Stranglers, JJ Bunnell and Dave Greenfield, who passed away last year, which hit me horribly, which I find so, so, so sad. When I Actually, that was one reason when I heard about Dave's passing, and I think in March 2020, I was so shocked, and I I I got out this 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 uh, album we did in '88 and '89, and uh, which was for me not not which was not so close to me because it was kind of synth pop. It was a kind of synth pop deviation in my life because normally I stand for harder tougher music, sometimes experimental music. And, and this was kind of pop and synth pop, uh, synth wave maybe. And then I listened to it again and I find the brilliant work of these two guys all over the place, like this fantastic bass and David's, David's wonderful and enchanted synth arpeggios. And I thought I have to, I have to bring this back to the world somehow. Yeah, and I was yeah. very, very sad about Dave he was such a such a wonderful and nice English gentleman uh, when we worked in the studio so cool and sweet both of them so yeah that was the reason to to uh, look into possibilities and now I found this label playloud.org who are really cool who are filmmakers also 
and who said, yeah, we're gonna re-release this on vinyl and this is what we are doing uh, at the moment. That's fantastic. So did you say, I mean, just before that, so you, you'd recorded your first kind of 12 inch, which was the one that John Peel played and obviously got picked up by the NME. And That's got right, single, that was in 82. Single of the week, which obviously is like, That's right. has, a, has a circulation of over 100,000 a week. So obviously that must have felt like, okay, you know, we, we've kind of, we've gone through the first gate anyway, you know, we've, we've made it. That's up. right. That's definitely right. You yeah. know, someone's yeah. paid attention to us and it's not just one of my friends, which, you know, That's right. nice. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Yeah. On the contrary. Yeah. That was, it was kind of stellar. On the same time, we were so young and so self-centered. <laughs> so, so, oh, okay. That's nice. Uh, we were so like like life and poetry was one thing you see there was no and also i was not very career orientated back then not at all i i would say unfortunately <laughs> the contrary i was so my life and 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 the music it was it was one it was one universe and so this this was cool but but we thought oh we deserve it anyway there was not not the slightest doubt <laughs> that that was that this I mean this yes Chipolska 12 inch yeah and there was like Hacke there was FMI night there was Mark Chung on bass yeah it's it's a statement and and I'm kind of today I see I, I could have acted much more clever after this and much more following on ah now I need to I, I was unfortunately or unfortunately I do not know uh, I was not that type of person I learned this later I think the guys were more more uh, more uh, how to say more dedicated to to their forthcoming I, I learned this only much later unfortunately right on the, on the same time I found this totally deserved and, and pretty natural <laughs> to be in the enemy immediately. That's good. I guess when you're young, though, there is a sort of a there's a sort of arrogance and there's a confidence that you can right. need, you need to a degree because you're not going to get. But as you get older, that that kind of younger self is kind of like feels like a different person, doesn't it? You think, God, I can't remember, can't believe we did that. But then, yeah, I think there is a there is a part. There's a time in the middle that feels a little awkward. But now when you're getting a little older like me, then this com the confidence comes back. <laughs> and, and now I really feel the experience shows me where uh, I, I, I ended up in the shit when I was not confident. And when I thought of followed advices that were really kind of not, not in my, not in my favor, as you see what I'm saying out of other interests and as an artist you have to be like this kind of tank you have to be this kind of i follow on my vision and i dare to do this and this comes only through experience and 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 now i i feel quite confident and of course i i get i get support for uh, how to say no not support uh, uh, i i get i get, uh, I get uh, confirmed that I'm following on on my own style uh, is successful maybe not in the kind of mass uh, stadium rock sense yes but uh, I have my niche where where I can live making music every day every day every fucking day and this is what what's what is interesting for me and 
and where I have a kind of freedom. I don't want to even say it too loud, actually, because sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that this worked out. But it took me a long time. And uh, it also, it was necessary not being only the singer, the producer had also to, to come up. And uh, I had to learn how to handle all these machines and stuff. And uh, without this, I would, I would not be what I'm, I am today. Yes, well, that's, that's good. Yes, be self, self-sufficient. So look, how yeah. did you end up? Did you say you recorded your album with the two guys from The Stranglers? Did you mention Norfolk? You ended up in Norfolk? I was, uh, I was uh, East Anglia, near Cambridge, in a small village near Cambridge. So there I spent, uh, I spent uh, yeah, some weeks and months even in 87, 88. Right. So what, was, what, what was it a studio you, you were in or was it a house? No, um, um, the first uh, period of like this pre-production period we did in JJ's own the dojo studio. Right. Which was in his, in his um, country uh, house. In East Anglia. Nice. So we recorded on on eight track or sixteen track. I think a kind of sixteen track uh, tape machine, and then later uh, did overdubs and the mixing in a twenty four track studio. The school, the old schoolhouse. It was uh, a space. All in the credits on the record. Yes, I and we had uh, Owen Morris as a sound engineer. So we started in a in a smaller group with JJ and Dave only and me together right. and I came, I came with some demos on a cassette which were kind of back then I only had a little tape recorder and I could only press play stop and record <laughs> <laughs> I was singing with some 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 wooden guitar I, I was I, I had some very bizarre demos but, but then later we found out that all the tones, they were already set there. You just had to be, you just couldn't expect uh, elaborate demos from me back then, not back then. So, so it took a little to convince them to take on this production. But yes. there was also, there was of course Dieter Meyer behind the whole production from Yellow, who was financing the whole thing and RCA and so on. So I was, I had a major deal with RCA and Dieter Meyer, so, so of course they, yeah, so the whole thing was kind of covered, but we started on a very, very small personal setup, with, which was really enchanting, I have to say, but of course Dave had this beautiful PPG wave turn machine, uh, and uh, yeah, and we had a four track, and I came home, the first session was, I flew home with a with the three songs mixed from a four track. And that, that got me this huge deal, actually. <laughs> because there, there was like something enchanted. And I, yeah, we were, it's sometimes it's hard to achieve the same degree of enchantedness once you go on uh, deeper into, to, in, into a big studio and elaborate production. Yeah, yes. but this, this is a known phenomenon in music production. But I'm just kind of amazed at that leap between your sort of single in 82 to suddenly sort of, you know, that band finishing and then you sort of got, you know, work with the guy from Yellow, the record label, and then two members of the Stranglers who, you know, had had that kind of phenomenal back catalogue. So you, you sort of moved fast in that time. Um, well, the, the, these years between 82 and 86 or 7, of course, I did not do nothing. 
uh, that uh, I was I had this this second Mona Moore band uh, lineup was also with FM Einheit on drums and Hacke Alex Alexander Hacke on guitar. And we had Nico Weidemann, who was doing this successful Mokka FT orchestra for Babylon Berlin today. He was like this, this totally virtuoso keyboardist, uh, which added to this harshness, uh, added like sweetness and interesting, but also the Brecht Weil cosmos was introduced. So we did many concerts in this time. And, and this formation, this lineup was really what kind of laid these foundation stones for the real Mona Moore thing. But unfortunately, tragically, I have to say today, we did not release this stuff on an album back then. We had, we played concerts that people still talk about because they were so dark and so fierce and so, and all these songs were very slow, like lava, like lava, like lava from a volcano. Yes. But yeah, we, we were too arrogant, I think, to release. We, we turned down some offers and then all of a sudden I ended up with having this produced in the studio because Raymond Watts, who later joined KMFDM, was our sound engineer, Raymond Watts, who has also the worldwide formation Pig. <laughs> I'm sure you know them. They ended up on wax tracks in the US. Every All of these guys, they became later very successful in the US. But okay, so this Raymond Nains Watts, he was uh, our sound engineer and traveling with us for our concerts. But I don't know, for some idiotic reason, this was not released. So people think I, so, so there is a hole in my career. And then I ended up with Dieter Meyer who said, oh, these, these, these recordings are interesting, but uh, is this is this really what you want to come out with, Mona? Couldn't we have another hit? <laughs> Couldn't we have some hit? This is also everybody wants to go for this. And so I don't know. Uh, I ended up with this title that night at the Ritz, which is on which is which is on on the record on the Stranglers record on the Mona and Stranglers record. Yes. And and and. Uh, but, but the whole sound had drastically changed, of course, because the boys, the Neubauten boys, kind of told me in 86, sorry, Mona, we now have an offer from, well, there was a big theater in Hamburg, that's Schauspielhaus in Hamburg, huge theater, very, you know, nationwide, uh, internationally reputed theater. And they were asked to be, to play in the piece Andy, and earning much, a lot of money, I don't know, a thousand bucks a night, a thousand bucks for each one per, per rehearsal day. I, and, and who could blame them for accepting this offer? And they said, sorry, Mona, we will not be available for this year. So what could I do? And I was kind of fixed on these guys because they were so good. Yes, absolutely. I just say, oh, I take 10 others. Uh, I, and I was very spoiled because I only know, I, I only play with the best people since age 20. And this is the truth. It's not even arrogance of my side. They, they were there, I play with them. They wanted to play with me, cool. So you can't just um, change them for same, same, but different. <laughs> <laughs> not around, you see what no, I'm saying. So, this is true. So, so yeah, so, so I went kind of with the flow and I thought, okay, working with JJ and Dave is certainly 
a great uh, a great opportunity but they were not the heavy guitarists so so you don't have this aspect on on this record and for people from outside they feel that i made strange changes in the musical genre in my career and this is what makes it hard for the people because they expect you do all the time the same thing and they are i'm not interested in musical genres actually i, I couldn't be less interested in <laughs> <laughs> something like musical genres to be honest for for me the core has to be right the core is like this 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 identity of a person and and I'm, I get I, I get bored easily if I should do the same thing. Sometimes I really don't know what you do when 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 you are really when you have huge world success and you are forced to play the same stuff over and over again. Like Rammstein, for instance. Rammstein are Rammstein, okay? They, they, and people want to hear "Heirate mich," "Heirate mich." That's what the people want to hear. And even me, because by the way, I I listen to Rammstein for my amusement in my in my, in my little bit of private. <laughs> and, like and, uh, so so me, even I would be such a terrible fan, expecting only the same thing all the time, and not yeah. wanting to listen to to something I don't know, a song I don't know, new songs, ooh, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so so yeah. Yes, but forever uh, it is what it is, and uh, it was at, uh, as it was. Well, so look, um, did that did that did that ever come out? Did that get released? This album you did with JJ and Dave? Yes, of course. Yes, it was released on RCA in 1988. It was properly released on vinyl on CD. Yes, sure. Is it is it? Hard? But it seems hard to get now, doesn't it? Apart from it's going to be reissued. I hope so because now we are re-releasing it. Oh, good. This I hope a... it's hard to get. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, it's one of other. So then, but you, if you go to Discogs, you find everything actually. Right, must go there. So look, okay. then, then after that, what was your reaction to that project, and and then what happens in the nineties? So I went to Poland first. I had another. I had uh, I had a, a, a two album deal with Dieter, and this was the first album, and the second album was the Warsaw album. And I did a huge elaborate production in Poland in 89 and 90. With, uh, we had a 64 piece orchestra at hand. And this album tragically didn't come out. And this is, and then, and then a long, a long, uh, yeah, a tough journey began for me because this album actually uh, was dropped by RCA. They said, oh, I have a midlife crisis, and when I listen to this album, uh, I don't feel better. I <laughs> that was the uh, that that was the comment. Uh, but Dieter loved this album very much because Dieter wanted me to. I want, he wanted me to. He he saw me with an with a with a yeah with a huge uh, symphony orchestra, and in Poland back in the day uh, we had this orchestra. So I. I went to Poland in July '89, so there was it was before the fall of the wall. Can you imagine this? Yes. So nobody knew what was going on in Warsaw back then. So, uh, but I met I met wonderful, fantastic people there. He brought me together with Jagosz Czechowski, who, who was a superstar in Poland. 
he still is, although he died in 2001. He's, he's a huge, 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 imagine him as a kind of uh, Polish Jim Morrison, because he's also a poet, he's, he's adored for his poetry, and, and he was the Polish superstar with his band Republika. Actually, Chris Bone knows about all this, because Chris Bone traveled in the 80s to Poland, which not many people did. No. So, so yeah, so we did this huge album and it was tragically, uh, tragically, it sunk like the Titanic before it was released. And, and that made my, my musical career uh, even more crazy and more uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was forced really to, uh, I had enough of being a singer actually. So, so that's what, what uh, took me, into this direction of becoming a programmer of electronic music and because uh, I had no choice, okay? But yes. this Warsaw album came out in Poland uh, five years ago. So all, everything was released, everything that wasn't released back then, I managed to release because I did my homework. I started to, to work on all this like mad. And then I met Anne Esch of KMFDM in 2007 who helped me? Um, who helped me uh, clear this this uh, this mess? Okay, and helped me reproducing stuff uh, and and releasing albums with this Mona Moore songs from the eighties. So so I I did two albums with Ash, and one is one contains the whole eighties stuff, but everything is reprogrammed and re-recorded, and uh, yeah, so it's a new master. With, with all these songs we were playing in our like kind of notorious concerts in the 80s. It's really crazy because these KMFDM guys, somehow my life is entangled with them because they were opening for me in 85 when I were played with the Mona Moore band in Hamburg. So the, these guys were opening for us. And yes. then with, with Raymond Watts from London uh, as a stuff, he joined this band later and then all they all moved to Chicago and they became super huge in the 90s and I that in Germany you wouldn't notice that so in when the internet came up I got an email in 2002 from Sasha from KMFDM saying oh hello uh, you are still around here we are I said uh, ah you still exist I said oh I'm going to send you some a little package and then there came a package with 14 albums and one DVD showing them touring with two Sattelschlepper L, you know, trucks <laughs> and their own PA and playing in, 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 in incredible, huge venues. Wow, uh, because Ministry L. Jorgensen had invited them in the first place. Yes. Opening for Uncle L. <laughs> and then they became headliners the next year and so on and and yeah we, we all our lives are crazily entangled and now i did these albums with nash together which is which is really crazy crazy shit <laughs> it is absolutely because yeah. uh, i just sort of i did an interview with um i think he's in pig face called martin atkins i think martin atkins yes the percussionist but also one of the guitarists who's in um kdf Andy. KMFDM, you mean? That's the one. Yes, I can. I can't say it that quickly, actually, without stuttering. A Andy, um, Andy Black Sugar. I did an interview with him. He was now, kind of, he's just been a guitarist quite recently, I think. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, he was in the in the second formation without yes. the 
classic. Uh, it's not the classic lineup. It's not the classic. But lineup. also a kind of crack in the whole thing. Yes. But yeah, Andy. Yeah, he's he's from England, and but but isn't he, yeah yeah doch yeah he was he's he's one of the guitarists and yeah. and Steve White right yeah like decent tough English shreddering guitarists. <laughs> so was that was that a huge relief then five years ago within you know having all your work catalogued, archived, and and sorted. Um, it's a huge relief uh, since since I started doing this. Yeah, so the first album with Nash came out in two thousand nine. Mona Moore and 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 he did so much work and he dedicated himself so so hard to this that I had to call the whole thing Mona Moore and Nash. It would would have just not be fair to spare him out because yeah, that that was a kind of such a fruitful uh, artistic. Uh, collaboration uh, we worked together until now actually and and uh, he's just a great musician and producer it's just just an awesome energy and a poet too yeah so so of course uh, of course i i had to it was tough for me seeing kind of less tel talented people like uh, taking over from the right side as we say in germany and and uh, but I know this is uh, it's, it's, it was my fault of not being dedicated enough and not being like a tank, not fighting for my own vision. Yeah. But but okay, these are all experiences you do when you are really young, and 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 now this wound has healed. <laughs> this wound has healed, and uh, yeah, and and uh, my life is quite interesting. And I could play many, many, many concerts with Ash too. We, 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 between 2010 and 2015, I was in the US every year touring with him. And we, uh, I was crossing Canada four times. Uh, so like 20,000 miles uh, on the road and playing basically everywhere in the States. Um, I've never been to the States. I, I haven't been to the States before. I was not interested before. But so I thought I wait until my music will take me there. And, and this is always the best, the, the best way to, to get to learn a country, I, I, I think. Well, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah I'm, I'm quite relieved, actually, yes. <laughs> well, it sounds good because it sounds from here that the 80s, very exciting, early 90s, things get tricky, then you do your other work and go in a different direction. But this has kind of pulled you back and sort of reconnected with that part of you and have made you feel a little bit easier with what happened that you can move forward emotionally and creatively. Sure, but also my, my, my background in, uh, in this, in the early 80s, and actually I was also a great throbbing gristle fan, of course, and I, I, I had a, I, there was a period in my life I was only listening to only throbbing gristle. I was such a great TG fan, I found this so exciting, and much later, 20, like, like 25 years later, when, when I joined the computer game industry for the first time, I, I saw that this helped me a lot. Uh, actually dabbling into into this realm be, because that's what you need and for computer games you need you need uh, loops and layers and open audio environments uh, that have an effect on the on on a psychologically a psychological effect 
on on the player okay and that's that's in a way I, because i have this this real credibility from this time I was hired for this huge uh, game, came and Kane and Lynch too. I did, which is a triple A game and which is a big international uh, production. And I got this job. Uh, I, I couldn't, I could hardly believe it in the first place. Uh, this, this would be like uh, Sankt Pauli playing in the Champions League. But, but this, this is because they knew they can't just order it from some, from some service agency. Yes. You, you, you don't get soundscape like this from some agency. You have to have lived this life in a way. Yes. And, and, you want to and go have really deep, dark effects of fear, terror, hysteria. Uh, so that, because that was also called the industrial terror ambience of Kane and Lynch too. So I got invited to San Francisco for that. And, and then only I got accepted here in the Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> same world oh oh they invited her to san francisco oh that must be something this is world is strange isn't it it's also always the prophet doesn't count in his own city but okay that's another thing but yeah i think this this the 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 authentic background i i had uh, uh, was very useful uh, for entering this kind of this kind of these kind of projects Yes, well, I would imagine throbbing gristle in a, in a game is probably a perfect, you know, that kind of intense, quite disturbed music, isn't it? Very mm. disturbed, yes. Very disturbing and disturbed. And, and this is exactly what is needed in, in some, some game genres. Well, most of exactly. it, probably. But I, I always <clears throat> love this. It's, it's something between noise and music. So you do have some tonality, but also not too much tonality. Yes. So you have like like squished music. I have to like like this is destroyed music. I destroyed my own music to put it into these layers, and I I, I took rhythms and destroyed them, and I, I used my own voice and and uh, and of course I, I did a lot of field recording for that because this game took place in Shanghai, so the team went to Shanghai to do a lot of like authentic field recordings from the city and I got this material and I could perform all these terrible operations on that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this, this, this work was so awesome. It's so beautiful. I, I so much love it. And that was this company, IO Interactive. They are based in Copenhagen. And what I really adored about them was they always said, your music, your music. They didn't say, oh, you're a crazy noise, nobody understands. No, they said, your music, Mona, is beautiful. And, and that, that, that was a big respect. And I really loved that. And because it, it, it took, yeah, you couldn't just order it from some company or agencies. It, it, you, you needed to have this rotten brain to, to filter the whole thing through. Yeah, yeah, I have to say. Yeah. Because... Um, and also, once once I had this contract settled, and it was a good budget too. It was, wow, a nice budget. I have to say, it made me, it freed me, liberated me for two years, doing what I wished to do artistically. Um, and and once I signed this contract, and in the first things I delivered to them, I said, "Do you want do you want alternate alternative A or B?" And then he said, the guy said, "Mona." Just do it your way. 
So I had absolutely carte blanche. I could do whatever I want inside of such a big industry project. And yeah. this was so wonderful to have this trust. So yeah, so they dared a lot with this, with this project. And, and I can say I work in a project like this. I, I handle this as if it were my very own stuff. And, and, and these are the projects I, I want to have and I am, I am good for, for. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be okay. I, I, I can't function otherwise than in this way. Mm. Yes, absolutely. But then like, two years ago, you brought out an album, didn't you? Oh, yes, my Delinquent album. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, you know it. Yeah, well, I've been playing it. Today. Oh, cool. I, I must, oh, cool. I must do some. So, uh, yeah, yes. so, so obviously you, you're still sort of, you know, apart from the so-called day job where you're sort of doing your soundtracks, you're obviously still wanting to make the perfect three-minute record. Well, you know, uh, it's it's never a day job, as I just... I, I don't have any day jobs. This doesn't exist for me. No. These are hand-picked projects. But also, um, as we mentioned already, uh, after I had to do all this homework of strangely or non-released albums back in the day, when all this was settled and sorted out, I felt uh, that I should do another Mona Moore album. And so I met Goldkind, the guy I, uh, I, I produced and I wrote this album with, Alf Goldkind, who is quite a known pro producer in Germany. He had some, some really huge major hits here in the 90s. But we know each other from the 80s when he was the first punk in Hamburg. Very slim, totally super slim little boy hanging out in the rip-off dis independent distribution. And so we, we know each other. But then he later went with his band to Conny Plank. His band was Flucht nach vorn. So this is more the German music history. And then he started having his own his own band, Lucy Electric, and they, they had a number two hit in Germany in 94 and a number two hit in Germany in 94, being on number two for, I don't know, for four months. That means something. It also means something. <laughs> it means something in terms of uh, on your bank account and, and everybody knows you, you people will, will talk to you on the street, okay? That was yes. back in the day, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Goldkind and, and me, we hadn't meet, we hadn't met for 15 years or something, but uh, when I was on the lookout for, for uh, yeah, another Mona Moore uh, collaborator or pro producer, I kind of, I wrote him in, I wrote him a message on fucking Facebook. And I thought, oh, maybe he doesn't want to speak to me. He was so successful. He was such a, like, major guy. And also the De Fantastischen Fear, the, like a kind of early hip-hop, German hip-hop band. This is totally not my, my scene or really, really not my cup of tea or so, but I have respect for this. If you make it in, in this department, I have respect because I know what it takes. So, so I, was, I, hardly, I, was, I hardly dared to write to him, but I, I, he answered me like 10 seconds later and he said, yeah. I'm going to do an album with you. And so we met and he had, he, we have both our studios. He has, he had his studio in, in the airport Tempelhof, which is like 15 minutes by bicycle from my place. And yeah, so he, he committed himself for this album. And so we did this album and Dieter always helped and we had many nice collaborators on it. Super great musicians. 
playing what like Christoph Hahn of the Swans is playing a guitar, Gary Schmalzel also, and Ash is contributing. And Bettina Köster of Malaria is singing Anja Huve from X Mal Deutschland is on it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love this album. It's all in German, it's all original, nothing from some other album. So yes, I am totally free. And I think about the next thing I'm doing right now, actually, apart from apart from the other projects. Yeah. Yes. Which is which which makes me a peaceful and uh, okay with myself at the moment, <laughs> artistically, artistically. Well, yeah. it, hel it helps us get through this interesting time. I mean, so is there, a, is there in the pipeline, have you started collaborating with people with a, a project, you know, that's going to happen next year? You mean this year? Well, yeah, this year. I mean, you, yes. This year, now we have January 21, right? Yes, January 21. Actually, yeah, I work on uh, film music together with Elfie Mikisch, but I will certainly help uh, the people of Play Loud to to uh, place these reissues of my back catalog because they are also interested in releasing the Warsaw album, which has only been released in Poland so far and not the rest of the world. So hopefully if if this goes well, then then they they would and they think about the uh, re-releasing the Jeszczepolska 12 inch too and so on. So so this is certainly something I will support in, in, in every way I can. And uh, and actually, I produced quite a bit of cover versions in the last one. When I had some spare time and I have this nice studio full of guitars, full of computers, full of keyboards. Yeah. So so when I want to have fun, I, I produce music. This is because I'm sick like that. <laughs> so I think about these cover versions at the moment. Some of them are really quite cool. Uh, one cover version will come out, I, I can maybe tell you that uh, I was asked from France, came, in, came a, an offer to do a Susie and the Banshees cover. And normally I don't do this, I'm not, I'm not into cover versions so much, but he said, hey, uh, they're, they're going to go, do a Susie and the Banshees tribute album. And in this case, I couldn't really this resist and I actually covered uh, the song Icon. <laughs> so this will come out uh, soon in France. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I adore this so much. It's, it's, I, I so bloody adore Susie. Because the, the Join Hands LP is for me. This was also, it was like, like a hit on the head back then. And uh, yeah, so I did that. Yes, I have to admit I did that. And also Goldkind put his hand on it. And there's a bit more of that. I'm not sure what to do with this because albums, I mean, it's pointless. Some people tell me, look, Mona, you don't, people don't listen to albums anymore. They put single tracks out and they, they listen to this on Spotify. I don't know what to think about this because I like to think in concepts and in yeah. albums. Yeah. So Absolutely. maybe I just do what I like because... Uh, uh, that always uh, did me best. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so there is this, and uh, there's more film music, and there is more collaboration maybe with Mokka FT Orchestra, and also, also I have this, um, these po the 50 music poems I was performing in Eclectic some years ago. I don't know. So, so there's a lot in the pipeline, actually. There's a lot in the pipeline. And what else can I do at the moment? 
It's in my studio. So, so are you, you good everywhere? Are you in London, actually? Norwich, in, in East Anglia. in Norwich. Norwich. So do you have the master tapes of the second album? Yeah, we had some kind of a master, and NS re... Um, he not only remastered it, he kind of... Um, re restored. He had to repair things, because the, there were some some s syllables really really harsh so we did a lot of work on that and of course it has to the album has to fit in in, in today's production uh, loudness levels otherwise right. you wouldn't even hear it people are so used i, I, I mean we, we didn't pump it up like mad but but we had to bring it uh, so that it fits into a kind of average music listening environment of nowadays, <laughs> so otherwise when, people, oh, there's nothing on it. Oh, let's crank it up. <laughs> yeah. ah, there is, nothing. you see what I'm saying. So, so what did it, what did you, what was your response when you, when you heard it? You know, cause it was probably- When I heard it? Yes. Maybe I rediscover it in, in a way I, I could never have expected. It gets very straight to my heart. And also the, there are two filmmakers uh, who always loved this album so much. Uh, and these are like Monika Treut and Elfie Mikisch, who are, who are really great uh, pioneers of the queer cinema in Germany and internationally. And actually, I even there is a bonus track. There's going to be a bonus track on the album. Uh, I, I re-recorded the track Venus for Monika Treut's upcoming movie. And they supported this so much back in the 80s. And I didn't even realize it because I was so dancing in my own glory bubble of eccentricity and, and excesses that, that I didn't even realize this movie, the, the, the Ritz was in the first movie of Monica Troyd and it, it, it was screened one year in the Kant cinema in Berlin and I, I even didn't notice, so idiotic I was, <laughs> can you imagine? But they are like, uh, I still, they, it all came back to me and so, so at the moment, I see much more the musical quality of this album and I can, because I have a distance now and not these expectations to myself. And I, I can enjoy it. I enjoy it so much. And even the video that was shot on 16 millimeters blown up to 35 millimeters. I found this film role and I gave it to the Play Loud guys just three days ago. And the guy who shot it, Eddie Oleshak, he, he lives in LA now, on Hollywood Boulevard, which is empty now, <laughs> because nobody is out there. So, so I don't know, it all comes back. And if people enjoy it, I, I, will, I will be so glad and happy. It's not, it's not all about me this time, actually. This is also about Dave Greenfield, who is not there anymore. And, and, and the, the fans, this album always at, and I kind of neglected them. And I feel bad about this, because I was, too much looking only of my own moods at the moment, like you see what I'm saying. So yes. this is really for, for the some fans this album had and, and I want to, to to bring this back to the world in a in a decent and nice way. And the play loud people they, they are like this. So yeah. Yes. Well it's gonna be amazing. I mean, you know, it's gonna be well, well it's, it's a great story. It is a great story, isn't it? And it's nice that it kind of comes kind of around but also you know I can see that it kind of also helps you somehow release stuff on an emotional level oh totally no this is 
is just nice. And, and I, I never had more fun making music and producing stuff uh, than, than now, I have to say. Yes, and, and the next project. It's great that there are so many people. I, I did an interview with, is it Jarbo from the Swans? Oh, Jarbo. She yeah. was in Swans. Yes, and she's just releasing albums. I mean, Chris Conley, you know, he's releasing and stuff. You of know, course. Martin Atkins. You know, they're all still looking for that next project, you know, which is just amazing, you know, because they've, they've done that period where it was all so intense and everything was kind of chaotic. And it's like, you know, you can't be the same person, but at the same time, you can sort of no. take, take what you did and then try and create something new as well. That's right. But if you are a musician and an artist, you are a musician and an artist. And this answers pretty much everything. And uh, there are no doubts about this. And then this is what I love to do. And of course, I can't wait to uh, be, be on stage again. Yes, <laughs> like everybody else. And I just saw that the Stranglers had to postpone their huge tour again, which they had planned on in, in April, which I, I've, I just saw this today. <sighs> I feel really very, very sorry for them. So, so everybody looks to the next year, <laughs> I guess. I don't know, but, but we, we will have to adapt also, maybe find other forms. And I have, I have this affinity to other forms, to virtual reality too, and uh, through my, my love for games. And my, uh, so, so, so yeah, an artist has to find his or her way around and, and I'm not a person to look too much back or to complain. I don't like this. I, I try to make the best of every... Well, every absolutely. Moment. Well, just, you know, just almost less. But, I mean, you know, compared to what your parents had to go through, I mean, you know, we can't complain That's too much. That's right. You know? this is, all these complaints are, are really stupid. We all sit in... Here in the West, we sit in, in warm uh, apartments, more or less, most of us. And who does not? They, they, these people have a problem who sit in, in horrible refugee camps on, on some shitty... Uh, oh, I, I, if I start with that, we will not stop. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is so terrible. I, I mean, maybe, I think a lot of things sh must change drastically. And, and maybe it's also... Uh, it's important to speak out about that, but, but maybe it's too long now for your... <laughs> For your show, David, I'm afraid. So, well, possibly. But yeah, so look, I mean, just, just roughly, I mean, this is one of those slight boring bits. But if you could have said something to an 18-year-old or 16-year-old self, I just wondered if there would have been any advice that you, you would have told advice. them. Advice? Yes, just that little, whether, you know, because with all the years of creativity and ups and downs, you know, all the wisdom you've had and experiences, Ooh. there might just have been something you'd have just said, oh, I'll just... Ooh, advice. Just, Actually, when I was 16, I was so extreme. I already had also some very harsh experiences in my life, including the death of a friend and, and, and other stuff. And I, I was so full of, I had too much energy. I was like a, like a, like a Kugelblitz. <laughs> I don't know the translation for this. You could... You, you, you would have had to chain me to the room. My poor parents, I, I was going just where I wanted to. I, I, you couldn't keep me anywhere. I was so extreme and I wanted adventures. I wanted, uh, I, I had the explicit plan in my head uh, 
to try substances. And this was not, oh, the little girl, she was lured into something. No, I decided this in my head. I said, okay, you are so rational in your head. You need to crack this somehow. This is what I thought. And it was right. And it was very dangerous. And I did dangerous things. And sometimes I got a bloody nose from this. But in another way, uh, it was right to do this. I, I, I could all oh, stay in school and stay home. And, and then you are not an artist. But I didn't know that I was an artist. I, I just didn't even know about uh, how, to, how to be an artist, that an artist also sometimes has to develop methods to work and not go out and, and do risky and crazy things and then wait for the inspiration. Yes, this is also okay. You have to live to have to say something, but also there are methods. To, to get closer to an inspired state or, or so, but this I learned only later. To be honest, no, I can't, uh, uh, my sentence is only a real risk creates a field of tension and creativity. Mm. You can't learn this on, you can't go to a pop academy Mannheim and learn this, learn how to be a rock and roller, you can't. So yeah, there, there would be some advices, don't, don't be, so too much as I was, <laughs> Just be, but but no, it's tough. And 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 yeah, maybe to to the to the girls, I have to say, put always profession first. This is the only advice. Learn some. Also, what I really regret regret is that I stopped my piano lessons at a certain point. This is what I regret because I was really good. I learned like mad. I was a kind of you know, a kind of how to say. I was really very talented back then. I had this absolute hearing. I lost this. If you don't train this, you lose this. As a yeah. child, I had this absolute hearing. So I, somebody would play a chord and I could tell you precisely what chord it was. But I lost this because no. I, I was not training it. But it's maybe not so important to have. Uh, there, there are discussions about is it useful or not. Yeah. So, so, so th there are some, some skills that should be trained, yes. The more, the better, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, and put the profession first and not put like idiotic love affairs first. Yeah. This is what I would say is uh, precisely to young girls, if you are 15, 16, oh, you, you have too much of, uh, does this guy uh, like me or not? And this, this you have to put second or third place, to be honest. This is the only <laughs> advice. <laughs> but otherwise, just follow your vision and avoid uh, pop academies. <laughs> take your stuff and run out. <laughs> it's so crazy because I was even asked to give lectures. In, I, had a, I had a kind of, um, I was lecturer for sound design, for games. I mean, this is like university level, so they are not kids, they are, but, but in a way, okay, I, it, it was really for me hard because as soon as I entered these halls, I kind of withered, I, I diminished <laughs> to, a, to, a, to a pile of dust. <laughs> I, it's just not the real life. And, and, and if you want to do something crazy something that smashes something that touches people and is maybe successful on a kind of market 
then you can't come up with the ordinary generic stuff. Not for me. You, you have to, you have to leave these places. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, and, and so, and, and I did this in a, in a good way as I like uh, through my university studies immediately, uh, I, I, I broke up with that to the tremendous pain of my poor loving sweet parents but but it was the right decision to be honest yes well it's it's um but, but, but what, what is good for me is not good for other people so i'm very careful with advices of any kind absolutely yeah. absolutely it's tricky isn't it but anyway look well look this has been fantastic well thank you ever so much i'm so excited about these releases that are going to be coming out hopefully this year Thank you, dear David, for, for getting in touch and uh, yes. listening to, to my <laughs> horrible, horribly bad English uh, explanations and outbursts. Oh, no. It's fantastic. No, I'm so pleased that we, we you know, we managed to co coordinate our diaries and get this. So um, it's been fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you so much. How, uh, actually, may I ask, how would you proceed? Will you, will you edit? this a little bit and and also put the r's and o's and s out a little bit or you you leave it just like well, this I, I do leave quite a bit of it because it because people actually quite like hearing the whole thing you know and they they quite enjoy it and so but what i can do i can sort of get it together and then um and then send you the link and then you can always put it on your page for your yes um, please because because yes, you know people because people are all, to be honest, people are always curious. You know, they do get that kind of, yes, there's that person. I know them and they've got material out and they can find that on Spotify. But, you know, you can read, basically read an article about somebody, but that's kind of a journalist talking. But to hear the artist is, is something. Okay. I don't mind, David. And uh, I, I was kind of aware that it probably would be going this way. So, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's just the audio. It's not, you know. Yes, not, yes. That's, that's I mean, yeah. Otherwise, I would have more makeup. I think you, <laughs> you arrange some more stuff. My 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 leopard and my polar put a, bear. Put another guitar there behind you, and you know, and, and more of my eight guitars that, yeah, that are yeah. around. Actually, that or are, just had one on your lap. You know, I have three amps, and we have eight guitars here, and uh, I, I love it so much. I play a lot of electric guitar as of recently. I did in my youth and then I, I did not because I was surrounded by all these good guitarists, which was kind of intimidating. Actually. I would imagine, yes. But I'm not so bad and so uh, practice makes the master, doesn't it? It absolutely, absolutely. I know, but it's good. Okay. It, okay. okay. Take care. Take care. Uh, all the best for you and uh, you send me an email, right? I will. I will. Take care. I'll, I'll say goodbye. Okay. Thanks, David. Bye. <laughs> And that is, and that's how you end a conversation with great sort of precision or not. Anyway, it was a bit fumbly, but then that's me. Anyway, look, that was me, David Eastall, in conversation with Mona Moore, um, which was great. I hope you made notes because I was fascinated with it. Um, look, quite seriously, look, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Keep it positive. Otherwise, just throw it in the bin. Um, and also, I've been doing these interviews for years and years. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, do C86 Show. It's there. Enjoy. Anyway, look, I've got to go to bed. Stay safe. <laughs>